We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. just after the Toronto Raptors won the NBA Finals that Broken Social Scene's Kevin Drew visited me at my place in Brooklyn for the interview in episode 37 of the LSQ podcast, which is now underway. Hi, I'm Jenny LSQ. I mentioned the Raptors win because Kevin is from Toronto, and he even got to sit courtside for some playoff action, so you know I had to ask about that while he was still basking in his team's victory. Plus, you know, like, how close did he sit to Drake? which we do get to near the end of this chat because, of course, more important topics came first, including exploring, as I always do, Kevin's childhood musical influences. Like, there was this interlude during middle school when he was out sick for two months with mono, but staying home watching movies all day, he became obsessed with cinema and soundtracks like Morricone's The Mission soundtrack and the Starman soundtrack by Jack Nitch. Plus, you know, for 20 years now, Kevin has co-piloted Broken Social Scene, the legendary Canadian indie rock collective whose sonic explorations definitely reflect that love of grandiose film scores. And BSS is fascinating in general, a band whose membership contracts and expands, reaching as many as 16 members depending on the album or tour. And many of the members are also making incredible music outside Social Scene, including artists like Feist, and Metric's Emily Haynes, and singer-songwriter Jason Collette, to name just a few. I was intrigued to hear from Kevin how having a band that large can be both a blessing and a curse. It was also really interesting for me to get to talk with Kevin about his point of view on music discovery in an algorithm-driven world, and that's where we begin, actually. Forgive me if it starts sort of midstream, but you'll catch on quickly. Let's go. I don't know, I have I am feeling like we're on the cusp of another era of like things that are of independent things being independent again. I agree. It feels like an understanding that like the robots can help us discover new music and even those of us who don't like who don't like much mainstream music are like I appreciate the robots and the work they've done to help me find things I like. Mm-hmm. But we can't be just relying on the robots. And, and if we can't count on the algorithms to direct us to things that are sort of no-brainers once you find them, you're like, how did the algorithm not show me to this? Then you realize, like, oh, maybe there's that world and this world, and the tangible sort of independent world is can thrive, it can thrive alongside with it, even if it's just like you have to, like, lift up a 
you know, you have to lift up a... Well, you have to make an effort. Yeah. You have to make an effort to know what's going on. Even within your community, you have to make an effort. Because you've decided what you want to see. You've, yeah. You've selected it. You've picked it. The algorithms have found you. And this is what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other day I was watching the National Live. I'm like, why the fuck do I always see the National everywhere? And it's like, well, because you follow them. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming over and... and uh, I feel like we're almost us. done. We're not. We're, we're, not. <laughs> we're not, Kev. Settle in, man. Um, but I, I like I like this. To the listener, this is a lovely place. Very thank cozy. You. Thank you. Thank you. And yes. I'm relaxing into it. I cling to the... I will cling to this place with my dying breath. Yeah. My Brooklyn apartment. There will be a battle. <laughs> when did you first start to feel drawn to music? I loved it in an early age. My first cassette was Men at Work, business as usual. And I had a, a, a neighbor who brought us um, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap for Christmas for my brother and I. And that was the first music that we really heard outside of children's music and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones because my parents were very much into them. But I was really upset because I thought it was a children's record. Like, I thought Men at Work was going to be a story about men who go to work. So you were browsing in, uh, where, 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 did you, where did you go? Uh, I, it was a gift. The first record that I purchased mm-hmm. at, I believe it was Sam the Record Man in Sherway Gardens, Etobicoke, Ontario. It might have been, it might have been A&A Records, but uh, was Crime of the Century, Supertramp. And my brother bought Parallel Lines because I had heard Dreamer on the radio and loved it, and my brother loved Heart of Glass. One of my first 45s was uh, The Tide is High. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a definite, like, 80s, early 80s zone. But, yeah, were you, did you love, I mean, did you love that stuff once you I were did. listening to it? I did, and my first 45s were Who's That Girl, Madonna, and Fight for Your Right. Peace oh, shit. Yeah, no. that's one of those songs. So tell me about Fight for Your Right. It just changed everything. You, it was it, it was the anthem. It was it was funny because we're not gonna take it. Twisted Sister kind of I think came out around that time as well. So you had these two great anthems to say "fuck the man" without knowing that that's what you're saying. Um, you're just going against your parents. You're going against curfews and getting grounded and not being able to eat candy or go play hide and go seek after seven thirty because you have some bullshit rule that you have to be in bed before the sun goes down in the summertime and your window's open and you can hear all your friends playing out in the street. So that makes you turn up Beastie Boys. And also, I, I feel like, I just remember thinking, like, they can't, like, what are they, they're just yelling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just loved how it didn't sound, it sounded like such a mess, you know, as a kid. It was just like, yeah, blah, there's it not, it's not difficult. harmonic. It's yeah. just, it was just like, I, you knew that your parents would not understand it. But in a way, they did also because, you know, my parents were from England and my brother being three years older. Also, Zeppelin was around. Mm. Like, Zeppelin was being played. So when you heard these, you know, the, the Zeppelin samples going down on the record. But I think it also was very confusing for my parents. I mean, especially that song, Girls, that confused a lot of moms. Yeah. I remember getting schooled by a few older women when that song would come on. So yeah. that song kind of introduced me to sexism in yeah. a way. 
Well, it's good if it initiated a conversation about it when you're like actually a kid. Yeah. I know the Beasties, you know, were like, sorry, everyone, yeah. about that. Uh, well, but, you know, can't, you can't erase it. Well, there is a, an urgency to arrogance that was very much around then. And, uh, I mean, personally for me, they're, they're, they'll always be number one. They'll always be the legends, the Beastie Boys. Yeah. I won't. No one will knock them. They're your number one. You know. I mean, you want, it's hard. I'm not going to make you say who is your number yeah, one. But just because you said. But, but, but I really. There, you're I, I, well, I just, I can't. It's just undeniable when I look at their work. Mm. It's undeniable. You look at. And you have to understand that I grew up. So it was after uh, License to Ill. It, it became Paul's. Was it Paul's Boutique? Mm-hmm. I was going to say Paul, Paul's Boutique. And then that record, at the age I was at at that, by that point, was very different than what I was used to from them. And it wasn't until I was a little older that I really got into the exceptional quality of how they were presenting that album in hip-hop. Oh my gosh, totally. And then when Check Your Head came out, because I had grown so much between those two, three years, it was almost as if to say, oh, they're still here, they're still going to do it. And that record landed, and it was over. Yeah, I, I feel like it might sound weird to say that the Beastie Boys are underrated, but I think by 2019 standards, yeah. I guess also because I was just last week, you know, it was the NBA draft. Are you an NBA well, dude Well, obviously, I've, I'm from Toronto, so... Well, so right now, everyone <laughs> in Toronto is an NBA fan. But, but they, no, I am an NBA they fan. They had the NBA draft last week, and the next day... There was a meme about they did interviews with mm. all the kids and they didn't that. know who Outcast was. I saw that. You know, it's yeah. just like, well, yeah, generationally, fair enough, but it's also a reminder where it's just like, if you in this day and age, if your catalog isn't being exploited in this sort of publicly branded way, if you're mm. not like your logo hasn't been licensed to Target or something mm-hmm. like that, then you may get lost in you may get you may be lost to current version of history or something. Well, that's for so much now yeah the things again the things that the robots aren't showing us do it's we're we're within a seven day cycle and and that is why uh you know the problem with good versus evil evil just has a better publicist so you take that notion and you think about how we obtain our information or we speak about addiction Mm-hmm. And how we've become such a—we're a, all addicts in today's society. Uh, it's tough to know, hey, yeah, because that was almost ten years ago. Yeah, if it's a lifetime ago. Um, if it's not in your face every no. day. Um, so, your parent are, are either of your parents musical? Do they play an, either play an instrument or? No, but they they played a lot of records. You know, my mom was very much racist on opera and Linda Ronstadt, and my dad was very much into, you know, Booker T and the Beatles and the Clapton and the Stone. And obviously, also I should say my mother sort of raised me on Rod Stewart. Oh, nice. Yeah, we've gone to a raised few shows. Raised on Rod. Raised on Rod. <laughs> went to a few shows together. Had some great moments that I will cherish until I go into the oven. But... Um, and then was playing music, was there were music lessons a thing that was a yep, family and I had to and take piano activity? lessons. Yeah, starting, uh, starting when? Uh, at an early age, I was a very, very uncoordinated kid. 
and I was a daydreamer. And ADD was not around when I was growing up. So uh, they didn't know what to do with me in sports. I just wasn't. I was defense in soccer because that's where you put the. the we don't know what to do with these fucking kids. <laughs> so you play defense in soccer. Um, but yeah, they, it was piano lessons that I quit. I basically quit everything I tried. I tried drums and I didn't really like it. And But it never left me. And I was very, very much a kid who was obsessed with soundtracks growing up. I loved film. Cinema was everything to me. Mm. And soundtracks became everything to me. And composers, I started buying film soundtracks as a kid. And so then I would go to a, a dear friend's, uh, a neighbor down the road, the Legos, uh, Kevin Legault's dad had a beautiful uh, keyboard, one of these new keyboards that I, I had no idea. And I would, they would let me go to the house and play it. They were very kind in that way because Kevin didn't have to be there sometimes. I could go over and I would sit and make drones or I'd try to recreate, you know, the Starman soundtrack that mm. John Carpenter and stuff like that. And I would start watching, you know, sci-fi films and listening to these incredible soundtracks. And I would go... And I'd start to figure out quietly how to stick things to hold the keys down and right. play with octaves and have drones going. So kind of grade, grade five and like six, seven, I, I started to get into that. And then uh, that's sort of what led me to social scene because I started my first band with, was with Charles Spearn, who's very much a part of uh, social scene and his band Do Make Say Think. And, and we went to school together and... I just knew musically because we were both into Tortoise. Like we sort of mm. discussed the first Tortoise album, and then Tortoise had this wonderful remix record called Rhythms, Resolutions, and Clusters that came out after their first album. And it was once again, it was kind of the same way for when I first heard Beastie Boys, or I first heard someone like Tribe Called Quest, or I first heard, uh, you know, I remember when Rage Against the Machine dropped. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've never heard anything like this. Right. Or Dinosaur Jr. for me. But Dinosaur Jr. was more emotional for me. I just loved the guy just rocking out. Like, So these were things that made me say, okay. So Charles and I went and started a instrumental band that had occasional little singing. And Brendan heard that. And then we went and made Feel Good Lost together, which was an instrumental. But I thought we were going to make soundtracks. And what do you think it was? Is, I mean, like about music in that context, in the context of a film. And what are some other examples besides Starman of the the movie soundtracks that you really attached? The to mission early? changed my life. The mission. I had mononucleosis. I was sick. It was Earth Day when Earth Day was starting, and we, we yeah. you know, when it started yeah. up. I was in grade eight, and I heard. I never pronounced his name right. Morricone, Morricone. Morricone, yeah. Yeah, I heard his soundtrack. They did a, a video for the first song. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the title. Yeah. It was the Heavens, you know. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Yeah, I mean, and I've I, never even seen the mission. Oh, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. So I you saw, you were homesick and you watched the movie. I was movie. homesick for about a couple of months. Wow. Yeah, it wiped me out. Damn. As it does. Mono, mono takes kids out. And um, grade eight, that's a weird time to be out sick. I know, and it's the kissing, they call it the kissing disease. So, yeah. then, so then you have to you, go trace like who, say, you're, who right. you're smooching. And at those days, it's spin the bottle, so you thought you were safe. Yeah. You know, we did grow up, and that was around the time where it was like, you need to know what's going on because you could die. Yes. You no, know, if you have sex, you will die. <laughs> 
And that's what they taught us. Like, you yeah. are going to die. Yeah. So. Careful who you kiss, yeah, kids. They're, they're You're like, like no. Uh, I just want to kiss some people. Exactly. So I heard that soundtrack and, and, um, and I remember my dear grandmother, may she rest in peace and always will, she used to cut grapes and wipe them along my lips while I was just lying in bed because I was so sick. But she would just give me the, you know, the moisture of oh the grapes gosh. along but my lips. You, so you were really, but you were really, I mean, you were, of that period of time that you have to be out sick with mono, like, you're like really sick during a portion of it. Like a, it's, it's yeah, like a no-joke flu or something. It's a no-joke flu, but I mean, a right. lot of people get it. And I actually, fortunately, my mom sort of raised me in the homeopathy world. Mm. So my immune system was quite great, and I got out of it a lot faster than others. My brother got it. A lot of kids got it. It was, it was right. a thing. Is, I don't know if it's a thing still now. I'm it not, is yeah. It is still a thing. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just, it's like a long flu. Yeah, I mean, I just... Chronic fatigue for exactly. the kids. Exactly. That's a big deal for you at that point in your life to be taken taken out of well, commission I, that well, way. Well, but you generally, at the end of the day, you'd rather be at home watching films. And, yeah, yeah. And, and hearing the mission. Yeah. And, and my mom... So then did you watch a bunch more movies? Was that sort of... Oh, yeah. Cinema was everything. So when you started writing music, you know, and playing on this keyboard you were describing, mm-hmm. I mean, are you at that point... Is there imagery that goes along with sort of the inspiration for you? I mean, is that part of part of how you create? Is that you're? Are you also seeing things sort of in a cinematic way or? In a... Oh, well, that was I think what was great about instrumental music, which I severely got into in my late teens, early twenties, is that there was nothing to guide you except what you wanted what you chose to guide you so you could look out the window on a car trip and see you could you you had a heightened sense of uh your surroundings and you would you would look for these moments because you were sort of soundtracking what you felt and i was that kid who would know when people came over or the girlfriends that i would be dating i would have the music lined up When we would be, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna open with this. You know, it was just like making mixtapes. They were the most glorious thing. You know that. Yeah. You you have to you have to tell me about your mixtapes, because you kind of you can't be doing this without having a love for mixtapes. I love you're turning the tables. Let's do it. Come on. Now you gotta answer some questions. Um. What was your first? Do you know who you made your first mixtape for? Can you remember? It would have to have been my brother, my older brother. And you had to impress him. Yeah, he made great mixtapes. He usually he made he was prolific when, once he really got into it, and so the trying to keep up was would have been ridiculous. But uh, and I don't. I'm sure I must have made mixtapes for other people, and I can remember a couple of examples. But it wasn't a a thing I did a lot. But I definitely had you know like I still have. Uh, this mixtape that I got from my brother that a girl at school gave him of oh, ska. Wow. Oh, wow. And it just says ska. It's like a Maxell. I mean, I, I could probably find it in five minutes because I've kept it. That's never amazing. gave it back to him. And I would just listen to it on my way to the sub. One side, you know, it's like one side was like, you know, Jamaican ska and reggae. And the other side was like British and American ska. And I would just listen to it when I walked to the subway. Um, and I just still, I can, when I close my eyes, I can picture the way the word sky is written on, on the label, you know, which is, which is, yeah, one of those, one of those things that it's funny to think and doing, doing this podcast when I talk to people about the formats of music or even just going to a record store where, 
in someone's hometown, it was a book with CDs, and you'd flip through the book, yeah, and you'd the say that one to listen or... to or whatever. <laughs> I wonder if it will be as drastically different from what it is now, you know, the e- equal amount of time from now, where it's like, yeah, when I was a kid, you would log into this thing called Spotify, yeah, and you like, you know, is, is this just the pace of change in popular music and the associated technology like it's easy to be like oh it's changed it's changed so much it's like it's never not changing if you look back to the era of sheet music being the main no you're you're right and and it's difficult to see it's a hard place to watch people fight it because you're watching people of age fight it and you're also watching artists fight it who are trying to fight for their their financial lives. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've been involved just because of having a label and then also having, uh, you know, knowing a huge amount of bands and also having friends and also getting older and have, having been around for as many years as many of us have now. It's hard to, to guide the conversation because you don't know what part comes with age. You don't know what part you're not accepting. You don't know how to change it. Yeah. And also... You don't know when you have to succumb to if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. And when you watch the ones who don't join, they suffer. They suffer yeah. in a negativity that well, just yes, surrounds. adapt or die. Yeah, adapt, adapt or, or die. die. Yeah. And it's been a very difficult conversation to have for the last four and a half years, but it it keeps going. Yeah. I mean, but going back to sort of early days of making music with you know with Broken Social Scene in the year 2000. Is mm. that about when Yeah, that's 99. It's, it's, it's 20 years ago that this year that Brendan and I got together and we started Feel Good Lost. We got an 8-track. We borrowed it off Charles Spearin once again. Do Make Say Think went on their first tour, their Euro tour, and lent us some gear. And I thought I was going to make a solo record for, for Brendan and then it just unfolded into what we just spent a lot of time together in, in the But we, the at that point, you obviously having no idea what that what it was going to turn into, but mm. were you hoping that making music could be a thing instead of yeah. some other vocation? Yeah. I say, I've stated, and that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to make films. I wanted to make music. I just wanted to create. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate because I had supportive parents, mm. you know, Though they were forced into it in my teenage years, because I drove them nuts, but um, they they got it. Yeah, they got it. They could see that I didn't want a plan B because I didn't want. I wanted to go for it. Yeah, go for it. And um, it it was interesting. And th- and this story is the story that's been told so many times. And literally, it was interesting. We did did this CBS this morning mm-hmm. thing on Saturday, and they're telling a story that. We started telling four years into our career about you know, metric and stars and feist and everyone that makes up this band and it's friendship and it's this and that. But it, watching it, I thought, oh wow, this is still the same story. And there's been so many different stories to surround the twenty years of doing this. But the story still is that it's these people, it's this collective. They're all friends. You know, I've known Amy Milan for thirty years this year and Emily for twenty nine years and. You know, Jimmy Shaw and Evan Cranley have been knowing each other since they were, I believe, seven or eight years old. And it really just became this little hub 
for all these people. Now, obviously, for those of us who are social scene 24-7 when we're out there, we're, uh, we're out there working it. But it's interesting to me how it really did become a mesh of people and opinions and we still were able to kind of pull it off and and rely on each other throughout life and this band was just a part of it yeah it is it is the anomaly right that that yeah. many people could could continue to creatively and interpersonally you know get along um and keep a project going for for that many years without it yeah. needing long massive hiatuses or like broke it break up get back together it's almost where it's like it's the uh inverse ratio of like oh yeah the more people add if you keep adding more people it'll keep things chill for longer the it, fewer of you there are the more likely you are to break up <laughs> well that listen three pieces you, that, <laughs> careful out there that i re- really think that that worked because whenever you kind of got sick of someone you had an option of eight to nine other people to go and spend time with. Financially, it's been the greatest challenge in the last couple of years. But I, I think also if you're just fans of what people do, I, I mean, sometimes I stand on stage and I look around at just the musicianship that I'm allowed to play with and also the records that a lot of these people made that are in my, you know, I have them in my collection. I put them on. I listen to them. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in the grateful stage of... One, that we're all still alive and we're still here, but also that we, we have, even though whenever the old school and we all get together, it's few and far between, but the new school is just as great. Right. We can, we, we can play what we need to play because we bring the heart of what the union is. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really much, I'm in my grateful years right now with it all because it's just... Uh, the challenges out there it's just incredible to to be able to do it with a with a team with a crew yeah what what do you find um inspires you these days me mm-hmm. uh people uh i'm very much inspired by people i still am i i find so much comfort in strangers i love going in and out of people's lives i love to soak up their energy and learn i was never very I wasn't that great at education in terms of it being taught to me in the way that the formal way that it, you're you're taught in schools. Mm. And uh I've learned so much from all the people that I've had throughout my life. And um the friendships that I have, the relationships that come and go, uh my partners, um I just I find inspiration in people and especially I did hit, a, you know, I've I've gone through the low points, approaching 40, negative. You know, a friend of mine was diagnosed and ill, and I had to figure that one out while while trying to approach the next part of life, or mm-hmm. you know, change and rearrange, as my friend Janie said once. And um, I've gotten lost in it, and I've made mistakes, and I've been mean, and I've uh, lashed out, and I've gone into the ditches, but. I generally just find that people are there to pull you out. There's a lot of kindness out there. I said it before, you just they just kindness doesn't have the best publicist going. And um as I approach, you know, my I'm getting I'm getting up there, though I'm still quite young. 
And it's all in the moisturizer for all the, all the <laughs> You're listeners. You're only as old as you feel. That's what people say to you at a certain... That's what you, you know when you know you've reached an age where people say unsolicitedly to you, you know, if your age is is mentioned or something you're oh you're only as old as you feel as if that's supposed to make you feel better oh my god which implies that i felt bad in the first place i'm just like i felt fine until you said that cliche (laughs) to me that one only says to people one considers old yeah yeah. which is fine i'm happy to be i love it only as old as you feel age i love it you know i get lost i i i try i'm trying to figure out the next ways of especially making money and continuing and and there's so many people in the orbit that I don't feel I need to look after, but I'm I'm concerned for. And yeah. I, and I, and I, well, and I imagine you didn't, you know, obviously Broken Social Scene has been an enterprise. It's been your business as mm-hmm. well as your band for a long time now. But mm-hmm. um, Well, our dads are, my, our dads, see, my dads have been our business manager for pretty much the whole time. Right. So that's been very uh, interesting. I mean, he's, been he he protects us right and he uh he's been you know talk about the battlefield he's been out there we get a lot of all caps emails but he's been out there kind of trying to make this work for all of us and all that we've had so many teams and labels that have just gone to bat for us over these that have kept us out there Right. You know, the, the the people that work for us or have worked for us or used to work for us or are still working for us, they're, they're all a part of it. I mean, it definitely from the outside uh, as an observer has, has seemed like kind of broken social scene is this, it's like a fortress almost in a way, not, a, mm. not, not in terms of being cloistered, but in terms of being solid or just sort of like, it's just a, has always seemed like uh, indomitable force maybe partially because of the size but also just like just a very like an ongoing success yeah i'm curious if there have been moments where it felt like oh shit is this gonna is this gonna continue to work i'm I'm there right now you know what makes this band work is also what holds it back and we've had to accept that the size Uh, yeah just the size and the nature and you know, the, the communications and the miscommunications and we've lost opportunities because we haven't read the right email chains and all that stuff that comes with just so many people being involved. Um, you know, I give a very heartfelt shout out to, once again, the idea of those who have supported us and kept us out there going because we have hit that class ceiling. We've, we've pushed our faces against it so many times. Um, and, you know, we've seen lots of our peers take off, and I always apologize to our drummer. I'm just so sorry that we just can't have a drum tech for you every show, you know? But there's so many of us, and we're in indie rock, no matter no, I mean, what happens. Is, we're still yeah. in this I think this people zone. don't realize how expensive it is. I mean, recently, earlier this year, talking to some artist friends who, you know are very well-established artists, both of whom, you know, can't really afford to tour in Europe, you know, Mm, or where it's virtually impossible to afford to tour. And you're like, I'm standing there like, how is this? How are you guys telling me that your bands, which seem like the biggest of our world kind of stuff, like can't afford to do a real tour in Europe except for every five years. Mm. Hence, 
the hens come to Brazil. I mean, it's fucking expensive to come to Brazil. <laughs> no is. one can go to Brazil. It is. She's Louise. And, you know, I don't, it's just, it, it's for listeners to the extent that it's edifying to know, like, um, it's really hard to earn a living at a greater rate of return doing creative work, even mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, they're rich. They're, you know, well, I, I heard their song in a commercial, they're rich. It's like, well, no. As we said earlier, I think marketing is everything to get yourself out there. You're, you're at a fight to constantly, you're only as good as your last little sentence you put out into the world. And, and people are <laughs> so happy that they're noticed. How do you keep the creative process separate from like an awareness of that shit? I don't know. Wouldn't that be a great, if I had an answer for that? Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing when if you're I just actually... dropped it? Just thank you for, you know, great question. Right. But Here's I mean, you have to, right? Because this is, you've been, you've been sort of running your band for long enough now that you've been in these kinds of conversations at every step of the way. So when you nowadays are going into creative mode and you're going to go sit and write, yeah, where do you go? What does it look like? I do was you... going to do a solo record in, uh, last November, and then I ended up choosing not to because I saw the horizon, and I thought, I need something different. I need different problems. I need different challenges. Mm-hmm. But I'll get back to that. Yeah. But what I say to the musicians and to my friends and to those who are having a conversation is, you know, change the conversation in your mind. Trust, trust the reflection that you're staring at and double down. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So... I realized that just it was timing for me with a solo record, but I'll go back. I think more than ever as artists, we have to double down. We have to say, fuck this, and keep going more than ever. Because to be stopped by an algorithm is absolute. It's atrocious. And uh, popularity n- never had any place in true art. Any place. And that's what we consume and follow now. I think it's amazing you can do a handstand. Do I think it needs to be honored by 1.7 million viewers? No, I don't. But it's not my place to say. It's a pretty goddamn great handstand. I'm not going to lie. Does that take the attention off other issues that we should be focused on right now? Probably. Let's look at that list. Oh, that list is so long that I'm going to go look at that handstand again. Yeah. And we just ruminate and we go in the cycle and we look for something to break us out of it. But what is that? I say it again. I think it's your reflection, and I think more than ever, you got to change the conversation in your mind, and you got to double down. Now, I'm having a bad time with proclamations right now. Mm. I seem to be doing the opposite of what I proclaim I need to do. And it's summertime, so it's rosé time, which is like, you know, a bad affair. It's not sustainable. <laughs> so I really want to watch what I'm, I'm saying, because a lot of time in my life, I have had that bumper sticker on my spine take my advice i'm not using it but um i i like to push turn to your neighbor but at the same time I, jesus doesn't have a ponytail <laughs> so i should really be letting my hair down and saying that but i'm in my ponytail years right now jen 
It's the post-Raptors NBA Finals win. You're wow. just riding the afterglow. Well, that was a wonderful Rose thing to watch. Look at that. Yeah. Look at the way the team was put together, the way they played, the way uh, it was a team effort, and it was astonishing to watch. And for us to and be Kawhi, God bless Kawhi. Yeah, but he the wonderful thing about him was that he just put it on the others the whole time. Yeah, and, and he should. Yeah, they were two great teams, and they played so well. And that last game, you have to honor them both for just giving us a game yeah. that was so compelling, such a Hollywood story. It was incredible. Do you get to good? Do you get? Do you have? You know? Do you get good seats at a Raptors game? I fortunately, at times, I do. You're, you're an ambassador of the city's culture. Well, no. <laughs> How I'm, close I'm, can you sit to Drake at a Raptors game, Kevin? Let's get real before we're done with this. I've sat a, diagonally across. <laughs> I, I, I've been I've been very uh, fortunate to to have uh, good people ask me out to uh, to some games, and uh, I don't take it lightly. And uh, it's always an honor when you get asked. And so you're touring a bunch coming up. I know you're going to be yeah. back in town here at least over the summer. But what what are you looking forward to in in the later part of this year and, um, and beyond? I think I think we've done what we can do for now in the touring aspect. So I'm looking forward to uh, to winding this down. We we squeezed another year out of what we thought last year would be our last year of touring for a little bit. But we, we threw one in. With these EPs, we thought we'd go back out and just play some shows. And, and luckily, the crowds have just been absolutely phenomenal. And I think we're playing some of our best shows ever. But we're going to go to Hungary. We've never been there. So, oh, nice. And we're going to have a day off in Budapest. And I just I was there when I was 18. And that would be when I would have been listening to all the soundtracks mm. and spacing out. I to imagine it's a beautiful, beautiful vistas there. I, I have not been back since then. So I'm quite excited. Uh I'm just looking forward to to finding some balance and a little bit of peace to see what, you know, you have to make room for what's next. And um, a social scene, I think the one thing that we have all established uh, is that we want to keep doing this. And if the people allow us to keep doing it, we will keep doing it. Um, Making music is probably one of the most exceptional things. And I'm happy that there's so many ways that people can do this because it's such an expression that everyone should have an opportunity to have. But yeah, I think that uh, I think it's just about um, getting through the rest of this touring and uh, seeing what's next. You got to make space, right? Yeah, new inspo. Yeah, need new inspo. You need inspo. Tumblr, start a Tumblr. You know, start. like a tween. You know what? I'm gonna start a. I'm on my own podcast, guys. But this I, is the first episode of Kevin's podcast, yeah. actually. That you just pulled the old switcheroo on you. I love it. It's been a great chatting with All right. Well, massive thanks again to Kevin Drew for visiting me and, and for that conversation. And we're now at the end of episode 37 of LSQ. And also, this is the last new episode of this season, season two slash 2019. I'm excited, though, for things I've already got recorded for early next year. Interviews with Hamilton Lighthouse, or, you know, formerly of The Walkmen. And Hopalong's Francis Quinlan, who has a solo LP next year and Bad for Lashes' Natasha Khan, all already in the can. And I welcome your feedback on the show. Thanks so much for listening, even if this is the only episode you've checked out so far. I hope you'll dig in further. You can reach me with questions and feedback at Jenny LSQ. 